Welcome to the Parsha Etc. podcast with Rabbi Francis Nataf. We have a very interesting topic today that I'm sure a lot of you will be curious about. And specifically, we're speaking about Benot Slovchad, daughters of Slovchad, which appear in this week's Parsha, and women rabbis. So given that this is a controversial topic, I'm sure people are very anxious about this on various sides of the spectrum. I'm going to try to be a little more careful than usual. I always try to be careful in what I say, but I hope that I will not say anything that arouses unnecessary controversy. And you're welcome to uh, disagree with me uh, for anything about anything that I say, but hopefully I will not be misunderstood. Should you think that something is not clear, please, uh, before you uh, shout bloody murder, please try to ask for a clarification from me. In any case, that's the caveat for this week's episode. I want to point out a very interesting uh, question that exists in this week's part. Should I speak more about it in this ep- the Dvar uh, Torah uh, that goes out uh, this week in the Jewish press and can be uh, received? Many of you, I'm sure, receive it by email. In any case, the, re, uh, the article of uh, Redeeming Relevance on this parsha speaks about this question. Question being, why do the daughters of Slovchad, when they come to Moshe, to petition him to give them a share in the land, an inheritance in the land for their families, uh, why is it that they bring up the name of Korach? And they point out that their father was not associated with him, as opposed to being associated with any of the other sinners. So we're going to speak about that at the end of the episode a little bit. And as I said, if you want the full discussion of that, please take a look at the uh, this week's Tavar Torah, reading relevance on the Parsha at the Jewish Press. In any case, I want to get to the issue of women rabbis and circle back to Benot Slovchad, which I think have what to teach us or those that are involved in the movement for women's leadership, whether it be through uh, rabbinic titles are not rabbinic titles, and we'll speak about that as well, because I think that's a real significant difference. In any case, um, recently again, this has come into the news, most recently in the United Kingdom, a woman that is actually a friend of mine uh, was recently given the title of rabbi, and um, she teaches for a, the, what used to be known as Jews College, the London School of Jewish Studies. Um, and because that institution is affiliated with uh, the chief rabbinate and uh, the official uh, Orthodox body in England, so she was relieved of her duties for having taken on that title. There's still a lot of back and forth, and could be that things have changed since uh, since the last I heard, and things are changing. But be that as it may, that was the upshot so far, um, and uh, that that's simply a report, not to say anything good or bad on either side. Simply that's what happened. Again, it's uh, something that's one more chapter in a unfolding. Uh, saga of developments that have occurred over the last 20 years, I think, in this, in this uh, particular issue, on this particular issue. Uh, I want to preface before I uh, 
discuss the issue, the, um, the fact that I'm not addressing uh, other movements besides orthodoxy, reform, or meaning that I'm not addressing reform or conservative women rabbis, um, obviously in those movements um, there is little that I can object to uh, given the assumptions of those movements. Obviously I disagree with the assumptions of the movements, um, presumably most of the listeners of this podcast are in that situation as well. But in any case, uh, it should not be, uh, whatever I have to say really has nothing to do with, um, with, those, with those movements' choices to include women rabbis. Uh, um, as far as I'm concerned, that is uh, the almost uh, insignificant in terms of uh, the issues that divide between orthodoxy versus the other movements. So I said it's insignificant because um, there's there are halachic issues that may impinge on the nature of uh, the the ability of women to become rabbis, but. Uh, and I, I say this not as a post but someone who does know halakha, um, the, 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 the issues that are raised, the halakhic issues that are raised as why women should not be rabbi, seem to be issues that, in this case, were there to be a, a will, there would be a halakhic way. I, I actually use a phrase that I really dislike, a phrase made famous by Blue Greenberg, a noted feminist, uh, Orthodox feminist, who, uh, well, let's leave it at that. The, the, the phrase that she coined is when there's a, um, a um, rabbinic will, there's a halachic way. Uh, something I find outrageous, I and mean, I think most rabbis find the expression outrageous. But um, I think it's true that the, in, in some cases that um, the halachic way is dependent on rabbinic will. In some cases, and I think this would be one of them were there to be uh, a desire by the part of the of, of uh, mainstream rabbinic leadership to uh, see such a change happen, then certainly I think that we could get around the halachic issues. Is the the office of rabbi is uh, as it is today is not really a halachic. Uh, a halachic position, per se, as opposed to a dayan, a, a judge, where there would be more uh, serious halachic issues. But the position of rabbi um, is really a position of community leader, and granted there are issues about women in leadership positions, but again, um, these are issues that have been dealt with in other circumstances, and major rabbis have dealt, have um, decided in a lenient, uh, in a lenient position, on those issues when it did not concern um, the position of rabbi per se. So, so I don't think the issue is primarily a halachic issue. I think a big problem in our community, especially the modern Orthodox community, is and something I've spoken about before. You can go back to the episode on Esther's Dat Torah. The, the issue being that people often do not understand that there's really more to Orthodox Judaism than just halakha, and that rabbis, as, as leaders, as community leaders, have to make extra halakhic decisions as well. 
issues that are primarily uh, grounded or primarily based in issues of public policy, what is best for the Jewish community in the situation that it finds itself now. And I think that's really the issue that, uh, that's really the, the, the type of uh, considerations that religious leaders are making. Unfortunately, they often camouflage it uh, with, with halachic terminology and a halachic facade. And I, and I think that's partly because of the lack of the community's uh, appreciation for that extra halachic role that uh, rabbinic leaders should have and, uh, and do have, uh, ipso facto. It's simply a reality and a reality that should be accepted both by those inside and those outside more, uh, more, more, more sincerely and more objectively. It's simply what, what is. Um, and, and I think for them and for any of us who are involved in shaping public policy, the issue, for, I think the biggest issue surrounding women rabbis is whether um, there's too much opposition to it for good or for bad reasons, um, whether there's too much opposition to it from a major sector of orthodoxy, and I would say the vast majority of uh, the orthodox community, that there's an importance to... Um, keeping a certain uh, a unity that exists within the halachic community, such that, as, as often mentioned as a uh, sort of benchmark, is um, the ability of anyone around the world to attend any, ortho any Orthodox Jew can feel comfortable or reasonably comfortably, comfortable to the point that they're willing to pray, in any other Orthodox shul. Um, and, and it's an interesting concept in the sense that, well, we all have certain things we're uncomfortable with. Uh, the mechitza issue works both ways in that sense. Um, some people feel uncomfortable with, with very low mechitzot. Um, other people feel uncomfortable in places where, certainly uh, women, uh, where they feel completely shut out from the prayer services by... Uh, uh, all sorts of situations where it's almost impossible for them to see or even to hear possibly what, what's happening in the synagogue. Nonetheless, given all that discomfort, an Orthodox Jew, um, certainly let's, let's uh, put it where it counts, an Orthodox Jew that's saying Kaddish would uh, bear that discomfort and enter such a synagogue, whereas... Um, by and large, the vast majority of Orthodox Jews would not go into a conservative synagogue to say Kaddish, um, even when it was the only uh, possibility available. And I think uh, the, the issue of women rabbis really has a lot to do with this. Um, this was uh, pointed out uh, a few years back about the issue of women having aliyot, um, that uh, the, the issue is more sociological than halachic, even though there, there are more halachic issues to say that uh, this would be problematic. But ultimately, the bigger issue is sociological, that um, 
that uh, for many reasons, and some may be very legitimate reasons, why people, why Orthodox people feel uncomfortable with a, uh, a stronger female presence in the synagogue for, for many uh, communities. Uh, and I think for good reasons, uh, this would be a breach of sneut, this would be a breach of modesty, and this would be disruptive to the religious decorum that exists and would be a, a unwanted and uh, problematic distraction. Now, it's not the case in all communities, and I grant that uh, that's why it's not a black and white issue, that it's not simply that all uh, communities should have this sense of tzniut and that it's automatically a, a breach of tzniut. Tzniut, uh, modesty, is very much dependent on the nature of the community, that what, what are its standards and what are its sensitivities. Um, so that's why we're speaking about a meta-community issue, that it's an issue that communities should not be taken, should not be taking without a perspective of the needs of the larger community as well. Now, it doesn't always mean that the larger community trumps the interests of the specific community, but it certainly has to be taken into consideration very seriously. So, how does that fit into this week's parsha and Benot Slovchad, who, incidentally, were obviously... Uh, bold women leaders. And uh, w one of the things they do, as I mentioned in the Zvar Torah, is that they try to push away red flags that might exist in the memory of their interlocutors, specifically Moshe, um, who has bad memories of people challenging authorities, specifically more than anyone else, Korach, and therefore, the women in question, it could be men also, but in this case it's women, uh, go out of their way to say something that disassociates themselves with these red flags, which bring trust on the other side. Moshe is more able to trust them as not being rebels, not being someone who are, who are trying to bring about destructive change. And... I think this is very relevant in terms of women and men who are trying to expand the role of women leaders, uh, religious leaders in our communities. I think that most of us would agree that there's certainly room for more of that. Um, and the question is how to go about it, how to bring about what's needed without rocking the boat in such a way as to uh, create unnecessary and problematic repercussions that come out of this. Um, so, so I think the model of Benot Salafqaz is an outstanding model, and some. And I'm just I'm going to give an example soon of, uh, I think, a, a group that has used that model or something similar. And uh, that, that model being to uh, push away any... Uh, associations that are unnecessary associations with destructive movements or situations in the past. In the case of uh, women rabbis or women who are attending programs to develop their leadership, 
um, and develop their learning such that they are able to field various uh, halachic issues, um, which again need not be something that's limited to men. Right? If a woman knows halacha, uh, someone can ask her uh, in the same way that one can ask a man. This is not really a, an issue of dayanut. Um, it's simply an issue of uh, borrowing knowledge for someone someone who, who knows it. It's asking an expert in a field for, um, for knowledge. But be that as it may, what, uh, what is necessary here is perhaps specifically to, uh, as an example, to say we specifically do not want to become rabbis. Maybe we're women in those positions to say uh, we would, we're looking to help the community, we're looking to take on more responsibility those that, and, and do those things that the halakha allows and those things that are necessary and helpful. And we specifically do not want to become rabbis, right? Similar to what the Daraz Korach say, we do not, we are not people that are coming with a similar agenda to Korach. I think this might be a, uh, a tremendous way to move forward rather than create uh, the controversy which ends up being counterproductive for everyone. And I mentioned there, there is a group of people that have done just this or something similar. They haven't done it in so an explicit fashion. And that's the Yoatzot Halacha, um, centered primarily around uh, the Nishmat school in, um, in Jerusalem. And uh, the, the Nishmat has um, educated a whole group of women who are many of whom are out in the field to be what's called Yuatzot Halacha, halachic advisors, um, taking a, to begin with a, a very uh, careful, carefully worded title that they are halachic advisors, which would sound very similar to what I was just describing. Um, clearly avoiding any type of association with uh, title, rabbinic titles. And by doing so, a certain statement is made, and the proof is in the pudding of their success. Uh, I don't think we've heard of controversies uh, around them, and that doesn't mean that none have existed, but the fact that most of us haven't heard about them says something very important, as opposed to each time uh, that there's a movement in terms of giving women smicha, giving them ordination or hiring them or what have you, it boils over into a, a, a great controversy. So that's what I have to say for now. There's certainly much more to speak about in on this topic. And uh, regardless of whether you agree or disagree, I think the model of Notzlovchad is a model for all of us to emulate to understand how to petition, how to challenge the status quo when there's a need to challenge it in a productive fashion. Thank you, and if you enjoyed it, please pass this on. Let me hear from you, and we'll speak to you in two weeks' time.